Amen. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, let's start off. I'm a person that likes to get active in the church. You might see me run around here. Um, let's just turn to your neighbor and tell him, I am a child of God. Just look him right in the face and tell him, I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen. That's right. We're going to start off with a, a big bang. You know, and what a wonderful thing. I love singing that song that we sang, you know, whom the sun sets free will be free indeed. And we're here talking about being, becoming God-hearted, learning to love like Christ, learning to love a Christ. You know, one of the passages that I like that Jesus kind of was uh, in, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is sitting there and there's the nations and he, he splits the group, there's two groups and he splits them into two groups and he said, you know, he says some things to them and he says the same thing to both groups. He says, you know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you came to me. I was in prison and you visited me. Now, you all, some of you don't know my testimony. Hopefully none, nobody runs out of the room, but I was in prison, you know, and I had people that came and visited me. I had people that came to me. I had people that come, you know, I'm just talking to them. And one person I remember, he told me, he said, you know, when you get done with this dark road that you're on, God is still going to be there waiting for you. Amen. Tell your neighbor, God is still waiting. Tell your neighbor, God is still waiting. <laughs> Can somebody say that, please? <laughs> Tell your neighbor, God is still waiting. God is still waiting. He's always waiting. He is right there. He's never left you nor forsake you. He is ready to receive. Just like that prodigal father, the, the prodigal son. Man, the guy was out there every day looking for his son. When he saw his son a long ways off, he ran to him. Amen. God is, God is looking for us. So, you know, and that's what I want to share, that, that people reached out. And see, God has revealed himself. How do you get to know God? God has revealed himself. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're talking about learning to love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it deals, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself an offering and a sacrifice to God. Imitators. That word means to mimic. Mimic. How do you, how do you mimic God? Therefore, be imitators of God. So how do you... How do you learn that you somebody to be like you've never seen? You know, that's important. But the Bible says that God has revealed himself. It's not just in today's day and age, there's lots of gods. You look at the movies. But, you know, God has revealed himself. In Psalms chapter 19, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day our speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. And then it says there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Hey, you can see all that stuff. And Romans chapter 1 tells us that God's invisible attributes can be clearly seen, understood by the things that are made. What? His eternal power and even his godhood are understood. Just look out, man. Nobody, you know, nobody put this in a box boom, 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 and got it together. They don't do that with cars, right? Nobody put a Toyota in a car and they shook it around for 100 years and out comes this new car, right? There's a designer. They put that thing meticulously. Um, and, and so there's a designer here in creation has designed everything, the stars, the sun. Man, it runs so awesomely. That is God and you could see him. You could see his power and his glory. But even more than that, 
The Bible says God has given us another revelation. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1.14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image, and that's what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Moreover, Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he said, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because Philip was saying, hey, he said, hey, you know, Jesus, we just want to see the Father. He said, check it out. You're looking at him. If you've seen, seen me, you're, you're looking. He is the image. The word image is icon. That's the Greek word. We get icon. We understood. So when you're on your computer screen and you're pressing, what are you clicking on to get to the program? An icon. That's what that thing is called up there. It's an icon. It represents the full program. You click on it, you get it. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the icon of God. I'm the image. I'm the one that you look at. So, you know, how do you get to know Jesus? Well, I mean, you can't get to know somebody you never hear about. You never read. Your faith comes by, does anybody know? Faith comes by and hearing by the word of God. So if, you, if you're not in the word, and I hold this as just the computer, so you can't be just in the computer, but you know, it contains the Bible. This little passage right here, you gotta be looking at what Jesus has done, looking at who he says, looking at what the word of God has revealed about the son of God. You gotta spend time with him. Spend time in his presence. I know that Jesus lives in me. You know, when we're talking about this, you know, when I was 30 years ago, when I was 18, I went to prison. I spent 25 years in prison. I got out five years ago, and I came to this church a year ago. I was a stranger. Nobody knew me. You know, and I, I met the pastor, and got invited to go to lunch, and we went out to lunch together, and he told me some wonderful words after I shared my testimony. He said, I receive you, and you are welcomed. How can we help you? And you know what? I just testify that this church, through Christ Jesus, has been a blessing in my reached out, watched our dogs, watched our daughters, man, helped us with moving. I mean, just got involved, accepted me into the family of God, and that's what we're talking about, being like Christ. You see, when we're talking about our eyes on Jesus, Hebrews chapter 12, 2 tells us that we're looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the finisher of faith. We're looking to him. You've got to keep your eyes fixed on him. What you look at, most often you will become like. Hey, that's a scary statement right there, isn't it? You know, what are you watching most? I mean, if our eyes aren't fixed on Jesus, they're fixed on something. They're either fixed on Jesus or ourselves or the world or something like that. You know, so we fix our eyes. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, listen, what, you know, John in 1 John said, you know, he who says, I know him. Everybody say, I know him. How many people know him out there? Anybody? Amen. I know him, ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you slope your shoulders out and, you know, that's not the picture of Jesus walking. Jesus was strolling. Amen. Jesus was awesome. He was awesome, man. He was, people wanted to be around Jesus. People came, sought out Jesus. What does it mean? It means you learn to be who he was, how he ministered, how he loved people. And that's what we're looking at today. How did he love? Oh, man, he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was a friend that reached out to the lost that were broken. He was a, the religious people. What did they say? Oh, man, look who he's hanging around today. He's with that girl. He's with that bunch of people. He's... 
And they didn't receive that, but he was approachable. He was somebody that they could be around. So I want to look at a passage today found in Matthew chapter 8. We're going to read this together. And we'll just take a look at being Jesus, God's heart for the stranger. So let's read this together. He says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. Uh, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very hour. So as we look at the picture of this, when we talk about the picture, what's the context? Jesus has come and he's delivered that famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we get what we call the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, all those things he lays down, you're loving your enemies. And he comes in and then in Matthew chapter 8, he comes and he heals this guy that's born of He reaches out and touches him, touches this guy born of leprosy. And then, then all of a sudden this other person is in the narrative here, this centurion. And you know, it's interesting when we talk about this person that is the centurion, this is the person that has subjugated Israel. In other words, they took over. They're the captors. They're the bosses. They're the ones that, you know, hey, they came in and stomped on Israel and put police around and said, you know what, you're going to follow our rules and we're over you. And we're taking, all your, you know, we're taking your taxes, we're taking your money, and, and we're ruling over you. So in a in sense, this is the enemy. The enemy of Israel. He, he's part of the people that are watching. Now, I know about that because, hey, when you're inside prison and, and the guards are over there, you know, none of the other inmates are running over and, and shaking hands with the guards. You know, they're like, that's the enemy over there. They're keeping us captive. You don't talk to them. You don't say nothing to them. You just walk. You don't share nothing with them. Hey, that's the way it is. And so, you know, we're talking about this guy, this, this centurion. He was actually a pretty cool guy, though. Luke chapter 7, which is a parallel passage to this, Shares that this guy had some people that came and spoke on him. A friend in need is what? I can't, I mean, you guys. A friend in need is a, thank you, thank you. Uh, so a friend in need is a friend indeed. This guy had some friends who were the elders over Israel. So they came and spoke on his behalf and said, hey, check this guy out. He really needs you. He's done some good stuff for us. He loves our country. He, in fact, he built us a synagogue. He built us a synagogue. So, you know, interesting enough, that's the plea. The plea is, hey, come heal my servant. And the, the patient is, you know, his servant that he needs to be healed. It's not even for himself. Come heal my servant. Well, let's look at the response. The response that Christ gives you. First of all, he, you know, Jesus, I want to point out a couple things about Jesus. You know, he's involved in ministry. You know, hey, there's nobody more involved in ministry than he was. He's feeding thousands, man. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's doing it. He's got multitudes of people following him. 
multitudes follow him. So what happens, he doesn't say, wait a second, I got too many things to do right now. Hold on, can't you see all these people that are behind me? Look, big crowd I got to deal with over here. No, you know, one of the awesome things about Jesus is that he shows respect. He shows respect for people. How do we show respect sometimes? Just listening. I mean, I, we've all heard that. You're not hearing me. Anybody said that to somebody before? You're not hearing me? You're not hearing me. I feel like you're not hearing me. <laughs> you know, so we're talking about you're not hearing me. You know, you, I'm in relationships especially, you know what I'm talking about? Hey, I've talked for an hour, and you're still not hearing me. You know, but Jesus was somebody that was a listener. When people came to Jesus, man, he gave them all their attention and heard them. How do we know this? Because of the regard that he shows the regard. He doesn't say, hey, that's cool. I'll pray for that dude. Uh, just, you know, no, I will come. I will come. I'm busy, man, but I'm going to come. I'm going to set aside, you know, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go do this. He shows regard for people that are hurting. And, you know, and that's what, that's what we have to do too. We have to show regard. We have to be people that are respectful and people that show regard for people. The centurion, let's look at his response. So while Jesus is doing this ministry, the centurion, he says, you know, while he's still a long ways off, he sends and says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. I'm not worthy that you, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. And then he goes in, you know, I'm, I'm under, but look at the faith that this guy has. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us, that's the big, we call that the hall of faith passage right there. You know, but it starts off that without faith, it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. Oh, you guys do great. Thank you. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must do two things. Believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's, and then it goes through and lists all these people of faith from Abraham, Abel, to Samson, to David. All kinds of people get listed in that hall of faith passage right there. So without faith, now, you know, one time I used to, you know, Jesus in another passage, he said, you know, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. I used to have one time, I had a hat and it had a little button on it with a little mustard seed. It was so small I could barely see it. I'm like, man, I don't even got that kind of faith, you know. That's what, you know, he said, you could move mountains with this kind of faith. I'm like, man. I want to increase my faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God. If you want to increase your faith, if you're feeling lack, then, you know, spend, time, spend some time with Jesus. Spend some time reading God's word. You know, I haven't seen a burning bush. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have seen a burning bush, unless it burned all up, but one that just continued to burn. I haven't seen the Red Sea parted. I haven't, haven't slain any giants in my life, you know. I mean, there's been some things that seem like giants, but, you know, the deliverances in the Bible or the times that God spoke in those times past through the prophets, I mean, I don't experience that. Now, God is awesome, always doing amazing things, you know, but he's given us a revelation in his word that we're called to cling to and say, you know what, this is how faith comes. It comes through the word of God. I understand. As I read the stories, and guess what happens? You're going to find out that what's going to happen, man, you're going to go through a dark time, and it doesn't mean the dark times going to be lifted. God may or may not deliver us, amen? I mean, and God's promised us nothing. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to get you out of all your troubles and make your Christian life a bed of roses. Hey, that's, not, that's not the Christian life. 
I mean, how many people, you go through trials, everybody go through trials out there? Amen. I mean, I'd like to not go through any trials, but we go through trials. We go through trials. And how do we make it? We make it by trusting and believing in Christ. You know, the awesome thing about Hebrews chapter 11 is, you know, there's all these wonderful passages, Samson, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's den, familiar passages to most of you people. If you haven't read those, they're awesome stories. Please read them. So, you know, awesome things. But then at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about people that were sawn in two, slain with a sword, stoned with stones, beaten, outcast, told to get away. You know what it says about all of them? It says, these all died in faith. So whether they were delivered or not delivered, they all trusted the Lord. And that's what God wants. God wants us to trust in him no matter what. It may be that God's going to do a mighty miracle and, get, and solve your problem. And it may be that God might not solve your problem. God might just say, you know what, I'm taking this through you, through this, so that other people could see that you believe even when it doesn't work out for you. Amen? You know, because somebody else might be looking and saying, whoa, they went through that? That's incredible. They still trust God? Oh, I would have given up. You know, and God wants us to trust him whether it turns out, because God is always good. Everybody say all the time. All the time, God is good. Amen? That's, it doesn't matter whether our circumstances are working out for us or down here in the bottom and you feel like you're getting jumped on. God's goodness never changes. And he's looking for something. The Bible says that your faith is much more precious to God than gold that perishes. God is just looking. That's why it's such a simple thing. Such a simple thing. Us trusting in God. But you've got to trust in his word. Trust in his word. It's not just some kind of ghost running around you. You know, it's the word of God is what he has laid down to be able to understand who he is and what he's about. That's why we're looking at Jesus. So the centurion has revealed faith. He's revealed, you know, God, I trust in you. And, and Jesus says to him, that is remarkable. He turns around and says, in amazement. I have not found such great faith even in all Israel. In other words, among my home people, nobody's believed like this guy. This guy's got it going on. I mean, he believes that Jesus can just say it and it's done. Say it and that settles it, right? Amen? He said it, that settles it, and that's what happened. He said it and that settles it. And this is the kind of faith that is rewarded. That's the kind of faith that we, you know, sometimes we go through a trial and, and we're on this side and, and all of a sudden, you know, we're complaining and Matt, I've been there, you know, amen. Not trusting God, anybody not trusting God in a trial, you know, not trusting God in a trial. I'm complaining, I'm, I'm like, God, what are you doing here? And I'm, you know, like the children of Israel. Remember the children of Israel and the Red Sea and, and they got delivered from Egypt and all of a sudden, you know, they were out there and, and then they were like, oh, and it was the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming behind them and they were like, oh, you brought us out here to kill us. And then God said, hold up, check it out. And he parts the Red Sea and they go across. Guess what they did after they, they were jumping around and dancing around. And, you know, wouldn't it have been good if they were dancing around on the other side and said, man, God's going to get, God's got us. Amen. You know, they should have did that beforehand. I mean, but I'm like that too. So, hey, I can't cast any stones because I've been there. I've been there. We all, we have all been there. We've all doubted at times. But God wants us to increase and improve and trust in him because there's no 
greater gift than we trust in him who has not only got the foundation of our very souls, but has everything in life prepared for us. So awesome. And so he rewards him. He says, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. As you believe, so let it be done for you. And that's it, man. His servant was healed like that. That out. Boom. It was over. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to pray for him. We'll make it better. You know, hopefully he'll get better in a couple weeks. Just, it's over. Done. That's what it is right there. God is awesome. So I, I want to kind of apply four things in, in, in this passage right now. So let's look at application. How do we apply this? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, the first point, you know, is to be approachable. Be approachable. What do I mean? Well, Jesus was approachable, right? You know, and, and it's important right there because, you know, as Christians sometimes, or as people that are seeking the Lord, you know, sometimes you, know, you get those people that put walls around there. They hold up their holiness. You know, don't come near me. I'm holier than thou. You know, we talk that right there. You know, and, that, and Jesus, he wasn't like that, right? No, he wasn't. People came to him, the tax collectors, the sinners. He wasn't so righteous that people could not come near him. Be approachable. Don't hold up your, your faith like a weapon to keep people at a distance. Man, it's, it's so awesome to allow people to get close to you because that's what life is all about. Life is about relationships, amen? I mean, that's what it really, God, it's your relationship with God that works out into this vertical passage right here amongst the family of God. And guess what? Not only amongst the family of God, but amongst those who are outside of the family of God. We need to get outside the family of God to, to love on people, to learn to love like Christ. So be approachable is, is the first step, man. Can people approach you? You know, I, I approach you to, for a need. And, and the second, let's look at the second point right here. I love this part. Be amazing. Oh, man, that's awesome right there. Be amazing. What do I mean? I mean, you know, here, what do we, you know, some people, man, you look like you chewed on some peppers, and then you're like, I got to go to church today. Yeah, you know, the family's going, I'm going, you know. I'm, ah, man, it's a, it's a rough life out there. <laughs> you know, man, you, you think, it's, who wants to go to church with that? Man, are you excited? Excited about what God has done in your life? Has he delivered you from darkness? Has he done something marvelous? How many people he did something marvelous for out there? I mean, the God has done something wonderful. He's delivered us from darkness and put us into the kingdom of his light, of his dear son. Amazing, amazing, amazing things that he's done for us. And you know what? You know what the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That's the things that we should be. Those fruits are not for you to eat. They're for others to eat. And somebody's getting something from you. Hey, they might have got some gossip. They might have got some anger. They might have got some, I don't know, you know, all those other things. You know, but we're not called to give away those things, amen? We're called to give away good stuff now. Get excited. Are you excited about Jesus? Maybe you haven't spent enough. Man, Jesus will make you excited. When his life is in you, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Everybody say, I'm the light of the world. Nice job, nice job. I am the light of the world. Well, uh, don't put it under a basket. Let it shine. Don't put it under darkness. Get it out. Man, get it out. Let people see the joy that God has done in your life. Let people see that you're saved. Be amazing. Be amazing. Don't be mediocre. Man, man God has done something wonderful, and you are amazing. You are amazing. You are amazing. 
And, you know, and sometimes circumstances, and I feel like that sometimes, you know, circumstances can get us down, we can get all wore out, but we're amazing. God has done something amazing in our lives, and we have amazing wonder. It's called the good news, right? It's not called the bad news. It's called the good news. It's called the gospel. That word means good news. Everybody say good news. It's good news, right? You know, who wants, I got good news. I saw some bad news, you know, but I want some good news, amen? Share with me something wonderful. I mean, even when I'm down in my circumstances, man, something wonderful is, hey, this, this whole world is going to perish away, but we got eternal life, amen? I mean, hey, if something messes up down here, because, you know, you never know what might happen, but I got something wonderful. Okay, point number three. Point number three. We are called to be available, so we're approachable. Yeah, people can approach us. We're amazing. We're called to be amazing like Christ is amazing, letting his power out through us, letting the Holy Spirit out through us. But now let's be available to assist others. You know, that's, again, I'm going to bring back one of the wonderful things that I love about this church is they have been available. I've called them in a moment. So, hey, can you watch my dog? I'm going to California tomorrow. Yes, we'll watch your dog. No. Hey, can you watch my baby? I need, I, okay. hey, can you help me move? Man, I need, I need somebody, and you know, boom, boom, boom. People have been on it. I need some prayer. Yes, prayer. I mean, these are, um, these are wonderful things. People have been available to assist, and that's the important. It's not just like, hey, brother, um, we'll pray for you. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 1, if, if you know, somebody comes to you and, and needs food and clothing, you say, hey, brother, you know, have a wonderful life. <laughs> what does it do for them? Nothing. So faith without works is dead also. God has called us to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that he, we are God's workmanship. You know what that word means? Oh, it means you're God's poem. Is that a, that, that's pretty incredible. You're God's tapestry. Wonderful picture that he's painted. We're God's tapestry. We're God's workmanship. God's poem. God's writing a poem through you. Do you know that? It's a poem of life. It's a wonderful thing. We're God's workmanship that we should do what? Good works that he's prepared for us to walk in them. He's got something for us to do. It's not to sit in church on Sundays. This is not the good work. It is a good work. I mean, it's coming, but it's not the final part. We should come to church. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We should be available to assist others. Hey, Centerpoint has lots of things you can get involved in. Pastor Brian says, hey, he sends out that thing every week. I get it, you know. How can you get connected at Centerpoint Church? You know what I'm talking about? Read it. There's something for you to do. Tag on it. Hmm, what can I do? You know, God wants us to get involved and, and get involved in the lives of others. So important. Let's, let's look at this last point, this last point here. This is an awesome one. Be an ambassador. What's an ambassador? Be an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador is somebody who goes to another country and then kind of, you know, hey, they tell them what that, they tell this country what the other country is all about. Amen. You know, you're a citizen of the United States. But you know what you are? The Bible says that we are citizens of heaven. We have a higher citizenship, one that ranks above. You know, it's pretty cool to be a citizen of the United States. But, man, this one ranks above it. This world is not our home. And, you know, as an ambassador for Christ... We're learning to love like Christ did. Now, oh, you know, just, we want to share Christ. Oh, I'm, I'm scaring people now. I'll share Christ. I have to testify, witness. Yes. Amen. You don't have to memorize the Romans road. You don't need 10 points at a sermon to run them down that takes them through an hour, and then you ask them to see Christ. No, you don't need all that stuff. Now, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but what I am sharing is it's really simple. You make a friend. You be a friend. And you introduce a friend to Christ. Oh, that was pretty simple, wasn't it? You make a friend, you be a friend, and you introduce a friend to Christ. Let's say all that together. Let's try it. 
Let's see. Make a friend. Be a friend. Introduce a friend to Christ. That's how you be an ambassador. Hey, just be friendly. Know that God has called you to a higher calling to be able to give something away. You're friendly. You love on them. You love on them. You love on them. So what if they got problems? I got problems still. Amen. You love on them. Love people right with the rat. So what if they're alcoholics? They got problems. They got issues. They got sins. Don't point them out. That's not our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's Jesus' job. Just love them and tell them what Christ did in your life. That's the gospel. The good news. He changed me. I was a convict. Now I'm not. Man, I was, I was a dope fiend. Now I'm not. I was lost. Now I'm not. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. It's simple to share the good news. It's simple to share the good news of Christ. Don't make it difficult. These are the wonderful things. Be approachable. Be amazing. Be available. And be an ambassador for Christ. Be an ambassador. As the musicians come out, we're going to uh, take communion. When we uh, take in communion, Jesus gathered at the Last Supper. He said, you know, he had the sacraments there and, you know, he broke the bread. He said that we're doing this because you're proclaiming my death until I come. Proclaiming my death until I come. This is, this is what we do in, in 1 Corinthians. Paul, speaking of this, says, you know, when we partake of this, this should be a solemn occasion. What are you doing? We're, we're saying, thank you, Lord, for dying for me, for all my sins, past, present, future. He died for all of them. There's not one he left out, not the big one. He, he died for that one too. It's all of them. He died for all of our sins. And it's an amazing, wonderful thing. I remember when I received God's forgiveness and how I felt forgiven and cleansed. And this is what we're doing. We're celebrating, saying, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for just forgiving me. Thank you for dying on the cross. That's what we're doing. So as the ushers come forward, I'm going to say a quick prayer, and we'll pray over the sacraments. Father, we just come to you right now. We give you thanks. We thank you for your love for us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for what you've done on the cross of Calvary. We thank you that we celebrate you. We celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection because it means something in our lives. Forgiveness adoption, love, unconditional. So we ask, Lord God, as we partake of this, that you would just cause an increase in our lives. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said,